Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. And today I'm sitting down having a chat with Chief Strategy Officer at Affinity, Angela Smith. Welcome, Angela. Thanks, Darren. Nice to be here. Thank you for coming. And also her, in some ways, creative partner, the Creative Director at Affinity, Russell Smith. Welcome, Russell. Thank you, Darren. So it's interesting having you both here because the idea of strategy and creative working together hand in hand is always the one that people like to think occurs. How well does this relationship work on a professional level? (laughs) Well, I don't think that it's something that that, uh, should ever be separated, that that creative and strategy... um, the best creative directors, the best creatives are strategic. And uh, this delineation between the two of them is uh, a little bit crazy, I think. So would you say that uh, Angela's come up with some good ideas? Um, yes. <laughs> no, <laughs> career, mean, limit, career limiting. <laughs> no, but it's interesting, isn't it, Angela, from the point of view of in developing a strategy, mm. to do a great strategy often lends itself to having a, an idea as you're working on the strategy, doesn't it? I, look, I, I think this idea that, you know, they're, they're two very different brains or processes is, is, a, is a funny one really because um, strategy is quite a creative process as well. You have to make lots of leaps of intuition based on information and sometimes it's just organising information. But I, from experience, the best um, briefs or, or strategic insights I've ever um, made have been working with, um, a senior creative generally. It's when you have so, those wow moments where you're you're working on it together and, and one of you will say something and you go, well, that heads you off in a different direction yeah. as we're still creating the strategy. Yeah. It, it, but it is funny, isn't it, in that people are inclined to want to put the roles into boxes mm. and yet it's actually incredibly blurred. I yeah. mean, you must find that from a creative point of view, working with someone that is in tune with in developing a strategy that almost feeds your creative, you know. And you want the you want the strategy to be creative. It, it's it's not a dull sort of thing on a piece of paper. It's 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 already heading you in a in a direction that you've um, hopefully come up with together. Hmm. And perhaps we're you know as strategists frustrated creatives anyway. But um, it's, it's just about having that joy of working together and and also working with creatives that have the confidence and, um, you know, self-esteem to actually take some of your work, it may be your, um, your promise or your line and actually finding that actually finds a place in creative. So I think that's important oh, to and, have. Yeah, and trust. I've, I've yeah. done that yes, a, a yeah. few times over the years where it's at first you, you go, well, shouldn't I be pushing this further? But that the, the line that, that is actually there on the, on the brief, that's the strategy, hang on, that's the best line for this brand or product and yeah. I can't remember who it was, but there was a strategist who said in writing the brief, they want to give the creatives a creative idea mm. so that the creatives can then make it greater. Mm. You know, and I like that idea of in some ways the brief becomes not just 
a document of requirement, mm. but it actually becomes the start of the creative process. Yeah. With the challenge being, can you make it better? Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Uh, I don't think it should be uh, this is the final idea. And it's hey, it's great to even put an idea in there that, that that you might veer off in a totally different direction, but it's it helps explain the strategy as well sometimes if there's the, the hint of a creative idea in there, I think. Mm. So, Angela, you mentioned earlier that uh, maybe strategists are frustrated creatives, but there is quite a different role, isn't there? Because... A strategist in some ways needs to be able to take what in the old days, things like research and, and market data and actually analyse that to get to the point of developing the strategy. Um, whereas creatively, it was more almost like an intuitive hmm. thing. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, uh, it's somewhat defined by our deliverables. Um, so the process can be quite similar because... Like creatives, we we start from a very, very broad base and go through a lot of thinking and ideas and hypotheses and whatnot and then narrow it down to a point where we think, okay, this looks like a space where I, and, you know, vis-a-vis the conversation we're just having about inspiring these guys to a place that we feel is going to make an effective difference difference for the the client's business or the brand. But um, we are in a position of being, you know, needing to convince the client and take them on the journey that the direction that we're heading in is right and that's our deliverable and our deliverable is also to give the creative team that uh, information inspiration to then have this emotional mm. um, resonance or outcome in their deliverable. But there's more data available now than ever before. Yep. So does that mean that the process is more and more about finding, filtering, you know, distilling Mm. than ever before. Mm. I I think some of the challenge is is definitely, you know, seeing the wood for the trees definitely in that that sense. Um, But that said, you can also harness um, data in itself and create your own data, if you like, to to actually give yourself more certainty. It's something that we've been working on doing. We firmly believe at Affinity that we will not test creative um, because... You know, by definition, that brings the idea down to the average um, because the outliers will always die, um, just scientific method. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, you can use data to actually test a strategy or a positioning. So we've been doing that quite effectively over the last 6, 12 months. And I can tell you, being able to hand over that brief, knowing that, it, you know, with a a confidence uh, rating of, of whatever, that it's actually going to deliver a measurable difference or nudge someone along the path, um... That I, I love being able to do that from a creative mm. saying, like we've got right space. Yeah. No, it must be refreshing from a creative point of view of knowing that as the agencies made a stand about testing mm. creative with research. Mm. No, it's, and it's 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 crazy trying to, to test creative with research. We've seen it happen over the years. People will always try and have an opinion which will knock an edge off something. It's the old... Heisenberg uncertainty principle of uh, of just looking, just observing it will will affect it. You had um, to bring up the dead cat, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, once once a scientist, always a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, also this this uh, 
People are a bit obsessed with this word data or data, as you say, Dara. Um, uh, you say data, <laughs> I say data. Let's not argue about where we come from. Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> <laughs> um, and data's always been around. It's what we've always used. Obviously, we're, we're now, we've got reams of it now and we've got to try and decide which bits of it to use. But it's what it's just a flash word for knowledge and, mm. and we've, got, we've got so much of it now and, and it's the gut feel that we called gut feel before wasn't just based on our gut, it was based on our knowledge, what we'd seen there, what people do, what we know about something. And this is just, the data now is just giving us more knowledge. We just need to mm -hmm. be able to sift it properly and find the bits that matter. It's interesting. Do you think it actually gives you knowledge or that it's the sort of base material that you need to extract knowledge of? Because one of my big... Oh, the, the knowledge is in there. It's, yeah. it's hidden though. Yeah, so, you so, have to extract. So, so yeah, so it's not, and you've got to ask the right questions of that huge data base. And and more and more clients, you, you see people that have got a huge amounts of data, and they don't actually mm. know what to do with it. And and um, there's things in there that are just gold, but they're just lying there. And until you ask it the right questions, you don't get that gold out. You still need that human ingenuity, don't you, to yeah. spot that that yeah. little nugget. I, I don't think the machines or the end is as nigh as as some people you know decry because we are getting access to more and more I, I call data information and it's just information mm. but we've always had to degree a huge amount of information it's how you use it you know have you applied that information to the right question and the the articulation of the right question is still the hardest part of strategy you know as far as as all of that goes so yeah look uh, you know a lot of people talk about uh, artificial intelligence and I think that the really smart operators are seeing the application of AI as a way of being able to crunch huge amounts of data down to smaller observations in a way or smaller mm -hmm. insights that then inform decision making. You know, that there's still this role for the human component that, yeah, that the, works in there because, you know, what, what's that, um, it's, uh, to paraphrase water, water everywhere, data, data everywhere, but no insight to make you think. Hmm. in a way, is what it's about, isn't hmm. it? It's, it's not just having huge amounts of data. It's actually being able to find that, you know, the human truth or the insight or whatever you want to call it that actually becomes the basis of yeah. this strategy. A hundred percent, because we're, we're still talking about real intelligence, not artificial intelligence, as we like to say, because really where we're at is an age of just really quite sophisticated automation. We haven't really got to, you know, emulating how the warmth and the humanness of, you know, finding what's really going to make someone feel or think or act differently. Uh, the machines just haven't got there yet. So we just, as you say, um, we're in a position where we've got, you know, faster, bigger, smarter computers that can, you know, crunch all this information down. But at the end of the day, it still needs that. The surprising bit, we need to add yeah. the little surprising yeah. bit. And, and yeah, there's, there's AI that can write copy and that sort of thing, but it, it'll... And that, that is a repetitive task sometimes if you've got a certain topic and you know the facts and that sort of thing and the machine can put that together. But the, the ideas, the thing that, that, that our industry is great at will we'll always need humans to mm. do that, that little different edge. So from a uh, creative point of view, if you're working with a strategist that's taking huge amounts of information and distilling these down to insights, how much do you need exposure to the sort of the raw source, or is it enough just to work from the insights? Uh, I think you can be part of that distillation. I don't think it's a question of them just coming to you with the insights. And I think part of that finding the insights out of it is coming up together with with uh, 
how are we going to, what, what are we searching for in this data? Are we searching for what sort of people are we trying to, to talk to? What have the people done in the past? All the things that data can tell us that, that maybe were intuition before that now we can actually put a figure on it and say, this proportion of people will do this or these people want this outcome. Um, it's, it's, it's about trying to find um, how to distill that data. Because uh, talking with uh, Martin Cass when he was at uh, MDC Media Partners, he said it was interesting because MDC has got some terrific creative agencies as part of that. He said the creatives were really interested in getting a, a, a rich but also data-supported understanding of the uh, target audience. Mm. You know, that the data actually allows you to get a sort of almost vivid, intimate yeah. picture what people, of what those are, people. What are people doing? What are the different groups of people that we're trying to talk to? Rather doing? than grocery buyers with children. Indeed. Which yes. is very hard to actually get an yes. intimate feel yes. for yes. who that actually yes. is. Natalie is 34 and has two children. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there is that. There's this um, fascinating thing that I think we've come to, to learn over particularly the uh, last couple of years is this difference between the, uh, the actual, the data self, and the aspirational self as well. So this is why, you know, you'll hear people asking, oh, is there still a role for traditional research? Now we've got data, you know. Do we really need anyone to go and talk to people and ask them, you know, what they're thinking and feeling? And the answer is absolutely yes. And that's where, you know, Russ would be coming, looking at the data and, and maybe chatting with the, you know, data scientists and whatnot and the CRM guys, but also coming along to a call group or going out and doing field work because you need to actually understand the difference between those two people because we don't really want to admit to our actual self that we, mm. you know, slept in, didn't do yoga this morning, ate, you know, breakfast half as you're getting into the car. No, my aspirational self did 30 minutes of meditation and then I went and did this and I had my muesli and do you know what I mean? It allows so, us to more accurately see so what people is, will actually, yeah. uh, what they're doing, not what they say. They yeah, about. and that's it, really important. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, and and that's a that's a terrific view on the role of uh, qualitative research. Uh, in that, uh, it was always explained to me, and 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 quite rightly, that data will tell you things about what people do and when they do them, especially the online data mm. That, mm. that is available. But the one thing it won't tell you is why, mm. or how they rationalise mm. their behaviours. Mm. To yes. their um, mm. to the way they see themselves, yes. so yeah. I think we're we're talking the same thing. But it's interesting because I think it's the part that often gets overlooked mm. in, mm. Uh, especially when people are doing um, sort of acquisition projects. They're looking at the data of behaviour, mm. and mm. all they're doing is trying to do stimulation to get more of that mm. positive behaviour, mm. acquiring customers. But what they never answer is the question of why. why? And, yeah. and certainly from a communications point of view, <clears throat> going to the why yeah. is so important, isn't mm. it? And that's why you have to, and I think coming back to your question, is like for a truly integrated creative and, and strategic approach, it's really great if you've got the opportunity to look at the what, the data, and then the qualitative with the human why. Um, mm. And that's sometimes it's the little bit in between. You go, there it is, there's the gold nugget. You know, It's right in the middle there. Mm. But if you can have a look at both, you can't do one without the other. So that's really exciting for Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that you often read, especially in the trade media, is about creative saying that, you know, all this data and data-informed strategy is going to kill creativity. No, well, I think there are lots of examples of where it's actually given 
given opportunities. And uh, the the great thing it, it it does for us is is unlock um, new channels and and things like because it tells us uh, the sort of places that people are getting information that, that where where to talk to them and how to talk to them in in those places as well. Mm. I think we were talking about a particular um, example um, in the automotive industry where the, the data, and it was a combination of looking at some big quant but also behaviour um, in the um, CRM or the database and putting those two together. And it just gave us a brief that had such precision and certainty. Again, it, it gave, you know, Russell and the team absolute confidence that if they talked to a certain group of people about this particular topic. At, at this time in their yeah. journey where they're up to with their current so car and that sort of thing. It, it yeah. didn't yeah. inhibit the, the yeah. creative yeah. process. It just gave them a really tight place to, to work, but they still get to work their, you know, magic mm. around mm. something compelling and emotional and resonant. You know. so, but, Angela, what what is the danger and mm. how do you overcome the possibility of finding something in the data mm. that is great creatively but actually doesn't have necessarily the sort of universal appeal or the universal behaviour. Because we've also seen examples where someone's seen a particular insight in the data mm. and then it's great creatively but largely falls flat with the ma a mass audience. Mm. I think that comes back to what are you actually trying to achieve. Um, you know, if we literally our job is to get a particular brand out there and, and launch it or, or you know, um, have people feel or think differently about it, then, yes, going very niche or micro isn't going to meet that particular need. So it really comes back to what am I trying to achieve? What's my what's my measurement framework here? Um, so that particular example we were talking about literally um, getting people into, you know, test drive cars. Mm. Um, and, you know, on the opposite end of that is smashing the base and just saying the same thing to everyone in that particular environment that's not the right thing to do but yes there there's always going to be um data-driven insight that might have a broader mass appeal and it also needs to be part of the the broader then still needs to be the big emotive pieces that that mm. strike a chord with people and then the, the the more targeted which can be tweaks off the off the base of that so that you're actually taking that emotive message and making it uh, applicable to a person's individual situation, mm. which is mm. you, you've got to make sure that you're keeping that that um, that emotion in it, or it's yeah, it's it's well, it's just yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. There's a real risk of, of saying this is a binary um, sort of situation, whereas we often think of the, you know as you're saying um, that it's a two speed sort of approach. That you know you really there's points in the journey where you really want to focus in and have a specific conversation with a certain group of people. And then there's other times you really come right back out and, you know, have a, have a bit of a conversation with everyone. You know, oh, just yeah. say, hey, we're here and this is what we stand for. Yeah. You know, if you like us, come on board. But then you narrow it right down. And we've always got to be too speedy yeah. about this. You know? And there's a bit of a difficulty, obviously, with attribution of, of things. Mm. Well, I think Adidas have, have recently changed their, their marketing mix where they've realised that they were actually applying too much... Um, Credence to their the digital work they were doing and forgetting about the need for the mm. big emotive pieces over the top of it as well. I often wonder because uh, personalization is this big thing mm. that comes out of data. Yeah. You know, everyone talks about, well, we've got so much data that we can actually get to the point of having messages that mm. are personalized to individuals. Mm. 
But you wonder whether in some ways the more personal, yes, it could be more relatable, it could possibly be more relevant, mm. but doesn't emotion actually happen on a sort of larger scale? I think so. Yeah. Than on a personal scale. And that's, and that's exactly what I think Adidas have found where they've gone, well, those little personal ones work, but they don't work in uh, in a silo away from the rest of it. You still need those, the, the sponsorships, you still need the big... Likeability in the connection yeah, yeah, that you have with yeah. a brand, absolutely. Yeah. It's like all of us. We don't know why we like a certain brand, but you do because of the mix of all the things that you're, all the messages you're getting, and you well, don't yeah. analyze it. You just no, go with you, it. It, and you respond to it as a human being yeah. mm. from your own personal experience. But I wonder if someone started holding that much of a mirror up to your personal experience, whether it actually starts to alienate you. And I'll share. I I share a personal thing, which is over many years, birthdays actually change. Mm. You know, a birthday as a child can be mm. something that's totally different <laughs> mm. to perhaps when you're getting into, you know, your 40s and 50s mm. when suddenly birthdays are like, well, I don't want to celebrate them all the time. And yet I think every human being can relate to the idea as a birthday being a celebration. Mm. But the, when it mm. starts getting targeted, personalised yeah. to you, yeah. that it could easily misfire depending on your current state of mind about the birthday. Yeah. It's yeah. funny when you say that because i just thinking that personalisation is very personal, isn't it? <laughs> because, yeah. again, someone might be, you know, thrilled about celebrating their 15th birthday, whatever. But and someone yeah, else hates yeah, it. Yeah, so <laughs> how do you... Do you, are you, you know, afraid of your next birthday? So, you know, how do you, yeah, how, it's very personal. That's mm-hmm. the problem with personalisation. But having said that, an unnamed um, airline loyalty program, I, I just hit a certain rather large milestone in terms of points accumulated. And I was saying, where's my little, just send me a little, you know, emoji or something. I will acknowledge you. Yeah. And they haven't. And I'm really quite annoyed. Oh. You know, sorry. <laughs> but that's the kind of, I mean, that's the opportunity for personalisation, you know, and I, but maybe the next person will go, whatever. You know, so I think it's a real challenge, um, you know, in, in that level. But anyway. So also, sorry, I think we're, we're sort of, we're still riding that first wave of personalisation mm. and it is getting um, a, a little bit crazy, having recently had a birthday this week, where there's there's messages from from your vet, there's messages from... <laughs> and, and it's... And, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's not actually like about your birthday. Yeah. It's yeah. your dog, yeah. cat, uh, <laughs> uh, pet yeah. snake, or yeah. whatever. All, yeah. all those sort of all things. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I like it. Um, uh, something uh, that I read just recently is uh, Kim Larson, who's managing director of global creative services at Google, is quoted as saying, "Every great creative director I've met recently has said, bring me more data now." I have to say I had a reasonable level of cynicism uh, because uh, Kim is at Google. Kim, Kim does have a personal interest in yeah. people saying that. But, yes. but uh, well, from both your perspectives, uh, possibly start with you, Russell, is could there be too much data or how, what is the – do you want data? Well, it's, it's what we were saying before. There's, there is too much data there but when you – Cut it the right way; it's fantastically advantageous. So, mm. so it's it's uh, yeah. Bring me more data of the of the right sort. Don't don't just dump all this data mm. on me. Um, give me stuff that helps me understand either the the people we're targeting or the right places or ways to um, speak to them. Yeah, insights. Yeah, 
the most rare of uh, attributions. Yeah. And, of it's, and it's so exciting when when data can reveal something that's totally new and everyone goes, wow, who would mm. have thought that? Mm. And it's, yeah, it's exciting. Mm. Angela? Um, yeah, horses for courses. It's like we're saying, if it can give um, the guys a really nuanced picture of who they're speaking to, and in that sense it could be as subtle as influencing um, the language they use, you know, or, or telling them what not to use. I think sometimes it's not about exactly, you know, defining and, and, and constraining them, but it might say, hey, avoid this word or mm. this way of, of, of putting things because that's going to offside too much of um, who we're trying to talk to and reach. Um, mm. But it comes down to, yeah, being incredibly um, um I don't know, specific about not um, using too much of the information. Yeah. Now, I'm just picking up on her language. Great creative director. What, what does, what's, how would you define a great creative director, apart from looking in the mirror? Um, how else would you do it? Uh, a great creative director. Uh, awfully good question, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Depends on what aspect of being a creative director you're talking about. So I think a great creative director can spot a, a, a fantastic uh, uh, idea mm. from a collection of them. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes that can be just a, a word that someone mentions in a meeting or something. You go, wow, that's, the, that's something that, that we can really grab hold of and, and run with. So a lot of it is recognition of ideas. In a big creative agency, it's being able to uh, uh, help nurture the half-formed ideas and... and make them better. Um, mm. You also need to, I think, um, be someone that has the business sensibilities to be able to work with a client that's genuinely interested in doing a, doing a creative execution or a campaign that, that's, that's going to, to sell product, uh, in, improve their mm. brand. That's where the excitement comes from. When, mm. you, when you, It still thrills me when I do a campaign and you look at that graph and you go, Goodness me! <laughs> it actually impacted the, the, the campaign started there, and look how the sales go. And that's that's it still blows my mind to this day oh, how yeah, well it works. Geeking out the other day about you know um, reaching a, a record number of um, uh, applications for a client last month in their entire history, and you know just I think that's where data becomes really exciting because we're more connected to our clients' commercial outcomes than yeah. we've ever been. So that's one of the true benefits, and mm. creatives are connected to mm. that. So. They're involved in this whole cycle of optimization and sort of it's not like, oh, just launch the creative and let's hope it worked. We're actually on board with the clients and watching the progress and learning and then being able to invest that into the next cycle. Mm. That's really, yeah. that's yeah. thrilling. Yeah. It's really thrilling. And Angela, the other thing that came out of that quote for me was, you know, obviously Google have a huge amount of data and Facebook has a huge amount of data and there's lots of sources of mm. data. How important is it? from your perspective, to not heavily rely on single sources of data? Oh, incredibly. Um, and it's funny, during during this um, conversation, I've been thinking about even what is creativity as well. So I just, that might seem tangential, but it, it sometimes it's just the creativity of what data sources you do choose to use. So there, again, little leaps of, of creativity you say, well, let's actually look at all this third-party data um, beyond the usual. And I, I think that's where we get really excited and make some really great leaps of logic or creativity, if you like. 
um, by looking at, I don't know, weather data, Medicare data, um, census data. There's all sorts of free sources of information that you can overload on top of all these other sources and then find all these little patterns or anomalies. And that's, we totally geek out about that. Mm -hmm. And you find some really crazy stuff in, in those patterns or anomalies and go, hey, Russell, guess mm -hmm. what? You know, mm -hmm. you're never a funk, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's, it's really critical um, to answer that question really directly that we consistently challenge ourselves to look at unexpected sources of information. And that can be really small data, it can be big data, just keep looking. And structured and unstructured data. Absolutely. That, that's the other thing is mm. often you find conversations on this topic. Yes. People are only looking at structured data mm. and that they don't allow themselves to also look at the unstructured data, of which there's even more. It can just be a conversation, you know, and you go down that rabbit hole. Um, mm. it, it's fantastic. And I, it, it just comes down to the semantic, doesn't it, or the, or the, the language itself is that, you know, immediately I think a lot of people when they that four-letter word data they think of a very specific little box but it, it's such a broad church mm. and we've got to stay creative around what that term actually means because i think you mentioned before russell that you know we've been using data for you know yeah forever we've, we've, i mean it's always just, been there got a, we've got a flash scientific word for it now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and i think part of it is the fact that technology has generated mm. yeah like it's not just collecting yeah the data. Yeah. It's actually generating yeah. the data. Yeah. And you have to start wondering what's you yeah, you know, what's interesting and what's not. Yeah. What's usable and How what's much not. What's, usable. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a lot of, you know, very crappy information out there. Yeah. Which is as we were saying before, it's it's finding those right little golden bits to, to find. There's and it it grows every day. It's it's exponentially growing. So it's it's uh, it's finding the right way to to analyze it to to get those interesting bits that'll that'll help us. Yeah. Again, you know, and, and um, talking with Martin Cass was really interesting because Martin's a uh, guy that's been in media for years, like like me, um, us. and us. I was going to say us, and I thought, oh, I bet not. Drag, I, drag I, I me into it, yeah. But <laughs> but in that, he said, you know, in a media agency traditionally, you would be looking at maybe four, five, six sources of data. You'd have your, you know, your Morgan Omnibus mm, yes. and you'd have your uh, your client's first party data and, you know, and so on and so forth. He said working with data scientists and data analysts was interesting because he, he recounted a story where he said, oh, I'm off to see the client. What data should I get? And the answer was grab everything you can oh, no. and I'll tell you what I can use. And that often they wouldn't even st start considering until they were looking at like a hundred sources mm. of data, mm. because when you get into the sort of the, the mathematical analytics of mm. it, the, those big numbers, those big sources are actually the starting point. Mm. And that's what I was mentioning before mm. about this process of constantly filtering and, and you know, distilling this down mm. so that it becomes usable. I, I think... Um just always comes back without fail, though. The opportunity is to really define and distill what problem am I trying to solve? And then you'll, by and large, know what information you need to, to answer the question. So, and that is still a human strategic process to really define what is the question or the problem. Um, you know, let's say you were, you know, literally trying to understand how to drive more attendance to a destination. 
the, the actual answer might be that you have crappy food there, you know. It's, <laughs> do you know what I mean? The entertainment or mm. the destination itself might be great, but yeah. so how do you find that answer? You know, you start with some, again, human ingenuity. You ask some silly questions and pose some hypotheses and then you go and say, well, where will I get the information to find that? But if you don't start with that strategic and inquiring mind, mm. you can get all the terror and gigabytes of information you need, but it's pretty pointless unless you're doing that very um, thorough and, and human inquiry at the up front because information is useless without that and scientific in, inquiring mind. And in reality, when it comes down to the strategic brief for the creatives, what you want to do is to come back to this one interesting, amazing data uh, fact that leads to the insight. You don't want a whole lot of different bits of, of uh, and here's what this data says and here's what this says. You just want that that one thing that, that you go, wow, that's 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 what we can build our campaign on. That's the intriguing, interesting, hasn't been recognised before sort of thing. Yeah, that's, a, that's what I see as the big opportunity, isn't mm. it, is stimulating the thought process, mm. the creative mm. process, mm. to look at something that, has is not just the usual mm. you know one of the things that you'd have to you know i define creativity quite simply which is finding new patterns mm. you know because that's what excites people new is the thing mm -hmm. that gets the human brain excited mm. we love the new interestingly we hate change mm. but we love new it's it's a, <laughs> it's the great dichotomy of the human mm. existence but you know oh we also love having things pointed out to us that we haven't recognized before and and comedy works that way as well. And, of and and there's Seinfeld up the back of the chemist shop talking about how the chemist needs to stand on a step a little bit higher than everyone else just to count pills. And we've all noticed it. And then when he points it out, you go, wow, that's that's a that's ins insight. That's an <laughs> insight, yeah. 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 But it's also the delivery that's important in the, <laughs> in the case of comedy. Sure, sure. we can can we re-record that and I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the secret of good comedy? Uh, timing. I didn't know we were going to be doing material. <laughs> you, you'll do your whole stand-up. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, well, actually, there could be a whole uh, podcast on that because I was reading a uh, an article in the US where they say the death of comedy is political correctness. But perhaps uh, we could do a separate podcast on that. Yeah, there was a very sad article in the paper today all about it, actually. Um, yeah. It's, we live in interesting times where people do like to um, uh, find something wrong with with something that someone has said. Yeah, well, we love outrage. Yes, mm. I think yes. social media has yeah. helped and us. Uh, we've got a great channel to um, to, uh, <coughs> to uh, express it mm. now. Social but anyway, we're getting off the Sorry. topic, which yeah. is uh, tangent. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I like about these uh, conversations is that it could lead you anywhere. Specifically in uh, at the agency with Affinity, you talk about being a full-service digital agency. How important is working with clients around what data they have? Because a lot of clients really struggle with, first of all, having robust customer first-party data, and then with the idea of being able to mix that or, or line it up with other data that the agency brings to is that been an issue or is it usually that your clients are already at that point uh no to that last question um i think without exception um there's almost this kind of lovely um awkwardness or embarrassment from most clients about their data to some extent you know they either say 
we've got too much, we don't know what to do with it, or our data's terrible, it's in terrible shape, or we don't have enough, or whatever. There's always, you know, sort of um, data inadequacy issues with clients, we find. But the, the point being that it's not, a, it's not an absolute term or entity. It's going to evolve and grow and, and improve and become sophisticated. So our conversation with clients around data and being able to, um, is we can learn and grow with them. So if we start actually um, making sure that our communications and the results and um, the optimization is an ongoing process from today, then we won't be having the same conversation in 12 months' time. So it's really important about setting up what are your business objectives and setting up a measurement framework and making sure that you work towards that from today. No matter what you feel about your, your data is, it, it's got to start now. So I, I guess to yeah, answer your question, no one feels like they've got it sorted that we've talked to. And we really started on our data um, journey in about 2012 um, when everyone was, was getting their social media people and whatnot. We just had the saw all the, the platforms and went, it's the data. Um, so in the last seven years, I don't think we've met anyone who felt that they've got their data sorted mm. um, right till today. And it's a great opportunity for us. Um, but I think, you know, the guys that are going, all right, let's just get into this, stop making excuses, let's just start improving today are the ones that are going to survive and thrive into the future. But the other ones that are still going, oh, let's just build a strategy and get all these really expensive platforms and whatnot, it's, it's, not, it's about being resourceful, not about your resources, um, mm. and that's really important. And, Russell, from the point of view of, you know, you've worked in uh, many different agencies, different sizes, different focuses, um, what is it specifically about this role that you're finding incredibly rewarding or even challenging? Well, it's, it's actually exciting to be in a small agency that's full service. So the fact that you get to deal with the media people, like media got taken away from advertising years ago. It, it, 95. It, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> to it, be precise. It, it, it needs to come back and it, it works so well when we're all working there together. And the fact that I've now got... Um, data scientists to work with, the technologists, the, the social media guys, and, and uh, yeah, it's exciting for me to learn new things and uh, and to, to be at the coalface of those sort of things too. And it's, hey, it's it's great um, being able to work on the creativity with the strategists and, and uh, with those technologists. It's hmm. fun. So um, one of the, uh, we've run out of time, but I want to finish by asking you both a, uh, a question, uh, and that is... Have it's a capital city. I'm very good. No, sorry. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not that type of question. No, sorry. No, it was, um, you know, obviously Affinity, we've, we've, I've personally seen Affinity grow and develop as an agency. Uh, if you could have any client in the world, who would you want to walk through the door next? Mm-hmm.